Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, this is Scott Johnson, and you're listening to What Was That Like? I have another podcast that I can't wait to share with you. It's called Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer. This podcast is going viral after a suspect was arrested in the decade-long cold case. This podcast has been investigating the case for over two years, and this episode we're about to play for you is their first episode after the arrest was made. If you like this episode, subscribe to Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm standing here with uh, my law enforcement partners in the Gilgo Task Force uh, to announce uh, the indictment of defendant Rex Andrew Heerman, 59 years of age. Uh, He's been arrested by the Suffolk County uh, Police Department's homicide detectives, and he's been indicted uh, in a grand jury uh, presentation by the the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office uh, for the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Thank you for joining us on this special episode of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer. I am Chris Moss, and I am here with... I'm senior producer Shannon McGarvey. Um, obviously, we have something to celebrate, which is Rex Hewerman, the Long Island serial killer. Alleged. Alleged has been caught. And so we're here to talk about what we know, what we think, and where this is headed. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, and I, I just want to set up what we're going to do. So we're going to talk about kind of our initial thoughts and then um, some of the big questions that people have had. And then we're going to give a little background talk about the charging doc, which talks about all the evidence and how they found them, and then talk about what could be coming. More charges, new locations, who knows? And a lot of speculation, but just, you know, there's a lot going on right now, so we'll see what we can cover. So, yeah, that bail letter is really going to be, um, we're going to really use that as a guide because, you know, I've said it once, I'll say it again, it's a beautiful document. In terms of the detective work, um, it's just insane. I mean, the way that they outline all of the evidence that they compiled over the past year, the DNA, the cell phone pings, the pizza box, I know that's a DNA, but it's, you know, uh, the Chevy Avalanche. I mean, it's just nuts to see it all come together. And these are things that we kind of knew about, you know, we knew that there was the belt. We knew that there were some pings. We knew that there was some degraded DNA. I'm just uh, looking forward to digging into all of that. I'll admit when I first started getting the news, I was like, oh, I don't want to get too excited. You know, what's the evidence? It's hard over the years to trust SCPD. um, But I knew this task force was um, serious and they were on the case and they were doing good stuff. But I was, you know, I tried not to get too hopeful. But once I read that bail document, which is not a normal bail document, I think they really wanted to lay a lot of evidence out in that to say, look, trust us, we've got the guy. And if you read that, it's hard not to think they've got the guy. Well, um, without naming names, 
you know, I shared this with you a couple months ago, Chris. I had a source um, in law enforcement that told me something big is coming. Watch out. Something big is coming, right? And then it was like two months went by. And I'm like, and I texted you and I was like, hey, my source says something big is coming. And then crickets. With the Gilgo task force, uh, Rodney Harrison has really whipped this into shape. And they did in eight weeks what uh, SCPD could not do in a decade, over a decade. Yeah. So just a little background. First off, if this is your first episode you're listening to, I would suggest that you go back and listen to season one so you can really understand who these victims were, uh, who these families are, and understand that they were, you know, daughters and mothers and sisters, and that these are real people and real families that have been affected. Um, Right now, a lot of tension, rightly so, is on Rex. But if you don't know about the lives he ruined and the families he forever affected, do that. Go back and listen. But it all kicked off with Shannon Gilbert when, you know, she was out in Oak Beach for a date, sex work, and she ran off and disappeared and they started looking for and then they found these bodies. And that led to a decade plus of saying what is going on and what is SCPD doing? And then finally, two years ago, they started up a task force. And then we had Shannon's phone call, um, her 911 call released. We had the belt. The belt. Uh, the we website had, was put up. Yeah, the website. A few little advancements, but. Totally. And then, um, and yeah, it was, I gosh, I guess it was February 2022, right after Rodney Harrison had been appointed, that this task force was started. And like within two months, they had... Six weeks. He yeah. said, I saw they met on February February 1st is their first meeting. And then by March 15th, they had an eyewitness to a, a Chevy Avalanche, a first generation old Chevy Avalanche. And they started putting that together. Yeah, it was it was uh, March fourteenth, and um, it was when, it was then when they zeroed in, like you were saying, on the Chevy Avalanche, and from there they were able to sort of work backwards and put together, triangulate the pings, put together all this evidence, and start building a case. And yeah. now it's been over a year, and um, some had speculated that he was ramping up to murder again. You know, his certainly his search for sex workers and online searches like were... it didn't seem like he had retired. No, um, he was definitely not retired. So yeah, some say that he was ramping up and that's why they grabbed him. Some say they had plenty of evidence and that's why they decided to grab him. That will probably come out. But what we do know is that, um, yeah, they built this case. And if you haven't read the bail document, you can find it online. It's it's about 40 pages. It's really fascinating. It's not an easy read. But once you get the flow of them, it reads a little bit of a narrative where they set this whole thing up in motion and how it happened over the last year, year and a half. So we'll go through that. Um, but again, if this is your first podcast, go listen to season one and gives you some background. And then it makes it even richer when you know that this guy has been caught. You know, a long time ago, Chris and I, I mean, we've had many conversations about like, don't you just want to know who he is, you know, but you have to put that out of your mind because in in my mind, I'm like, we're never going to know, you know, just we're never going to know. That's not our job. We're not detectives. That's the job of law enforcement. And our job was to shine a light on the victims, to shine a light on the inequities of this case, and to increase public outcry and to make sure that law enforcement does what they should have been doing all along, which is solving this case. And if we played even a teeny tiny part in increasing the public outcry so that this case could get solved, high five, dude. It was all worth it. But really kudos to Rodney Harrison and this task force that really just got busy. And you'll see as we go through this evidence, just keep in mind as we go through this, like, A lot of this, some of the DNA technology was not there yet, but the pings, the tracking, the cell phone pings, if they had really gotten busy, this might have been solved sooner. But we'll get into that. So, uh, you know, on July 14th, when news broke that a suspect had been named 
in the Long Island serial killer case, Gilgo Beach murders case, uh, we didn't know who he was. And uh, and then, you know, I had somebody text me, R.H., just remember that, R.H., right? It was a source, unnamed source. And uh, and I remember I texted you and I said, R.H., R.H. And then I said, oh, my God. And, and I was getting texts from reporters on the ground as well. And I asked, I said, what what's the... What's what's his uh, address? Where are you at? You know, all of this. So I did a quick Google search of his address, R.H., and I found it. And by that point, it had already been released. But I was like, Heuerman, Rex Heuerman. And I said, he's 59 years old. Oh, my God, he's an architect. And then that information, all the information just started coming out. And then he's a father of two. He works in Manhattan. And I thought it was just I have chills right now even talking about it because all of these clues that we had sort of speculated on over the years, just started snapping into place. And um, it was it was startling. So yeah, he um, he lives in Massapequa Park, uh, Long Island, close to the South Shore, not that far from Ocean Parkway. Not that um, far from Gilgo. Yeah. And um, lives in the house that he grew up in. It was his childhood home. He purchased the home some time ago from his mother for like just shy of $200,000. Um, he worked in the city. He owned an a architecture firm. But it's weird. He seems kind of normal, obviously professional architect. The home, the family home is not, it's it's kind of dumpy. It's worth a lot of money in the area. But it's this dumpy, rundown home that doesn't fit. So there's a lot of things that don't fit. There's people that say he's just this normal guy. There's other people that say he's kind of creepy and weird and they've had run-ins with him. So there's still stuff coming out about him. But again, well, I want to say... For this podcast, it's, he's a, the alleged Long Island serial killer. Um, the evidence is there, but of course we want to say alleged until he is proven guilty. Yeah, until he's convicted. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's just a, a nod to due process right there. Um, so he is definitely, I mean, based on what I know of him and the details that have come out about his life, he seems highly compartmentalized. People have said, people that he's worked with as an architect um, have said that, you know, he was a taskmaster. He could be erratic and um, argumentative. Uh, he was nitpicky. You know, uh, what, I read an article today that said, you know, someone was working with him on a project and he kept complaining about the plumber. Was not doing a good job. He's gonna get. He's gonna get my license revoked. They're gonna do an investigation on me. They're gonna get my license revoked. And I'm like, well, yeah, I would be if I were a serial killer. I wouldn't want anybody looking into my business. I wouldn't want anybody doing that. But at the same time, he had multiple traffic incidents. He um, had 92 guns registered, but actually had an arsenal of. Nearly 200 over guns. over 200. Some, some have said 300 guns in his home, which included pistols, semi-automatic rifles, like all of these things. Like that's insane. And um, I read another article last night where there was like some uh, intern working for him. Uh, and Rex said, hey, come over here. It was like 2006, like sort of the uh, I don't want to say the dawn of the Internet, but the Internet was different back then. And uh and he said, come over here. Let me show you this video. And at his office, this intern kid, this young kid, Rex shows him a video of somebody in an interrogation room blowing his brains out. Like, yeah. And then he's like, isn't that crazy? And then he said that he would, like, brag about how many guns he had at his home. So, I mean, you say he looks normal, right? But like when you kind of just even barely scratching the surface, this guy is weird. He stole oranges from Whole Foods. I mean, like what's harassed joggers in a park? This yeah. one woman. Yeah. So there's some there's some weird stuff, and it's it's going to be fascinating to find out even more as you know people come out of the work woodwork. And like I saw a video of a girl who said she went on a date with him to Port Jeff in which is kind of North Long Island. And he wanted to take her home, and she said no. I mean, some of this stuff, we don't know what's true and what's not yet, but it'll be fascinating to see what else comes out. What can I say? When I plan a week of meals, I like to have some variety. And with hundreds of meals to choose from, Cook Unity has that part covered. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. 
Not too long ago, I tried the cauliflower and chickpea coconut curry. I love curry anyway, but even if you're not normally a fan, you should try this one. It's one of the dishes prepared by Chef Michelle Bernstein here in Florida. She has a couple of restaurants here, and she's also a judge on the TV show Chopped, so you may have already seen her. But aside from the taste, it's the convenience. Because let's face it, even if I knew how to cook, I don't have time. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when mealtime rolls around, I pick out what I feel like eating, and within just a few minutes, it's ready. No prep and no cleanup. And when I say variety, I'm talking over 350 different meals from dozens of chefs. You can decide based on a chef you like, or protein content, or just what you prefer. The menus are updated weekly, so there's always something new. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. A while back, I added a small thing to my nightly routine. Just before going to bed, I jot down a few tasks on a sticky note, things I want to get done the next day. So when I'm waking up the next morning, I already sort of have an agenda. It's just a little habit that's made a big difference for me. It's kind of the same as taking care of your gut, because it's also little, but your whole body depends on it for overall health. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic gives you positive impacts for your gut as well as your heart. And it's a really easy routine. Just pop two capsules of Seed DSO-1 in the morning, and all I can tell you is I feel great. I'm not a scientist, but I know that having an optimal gut bacteria level promotes better health in the rest of my body, including my skin. And the clinical trials and research mean the data is there to back that up. DSO-1 is completely free of sugar, soy, gluten, and peanuts, and it's vegan. It's got no chemical coatings, and it doesn't even require refrigeration, so it's easy to use when I'm traveling to a podcasting conference. Try it out for yourself and see how it impacts your gut health. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What we do know, as far as fact, is what's in this charging dock. So... This charging dock, well, it's a bail application. And this is basically the dock, just to set it up, is the people of the state of New York against Rex are saying, hey, this is the evidence we have against him, and this is why he should not be given bail. Um, And again, it usually doesn't go into this much detail, but this one really lays it out. And so what he's being charged for, murder in the first and second, for Melissa, Megan, and Amber, uh, who went missing? Melissa went missing in 09. Megan and Amber went missing in 2010. So they were able to fully pin those on him. As Shannon had said, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who disappeared in 07, he's the prime suspect. He was, uh, she was out there with those other victims in that same area. And I think since she's from 07, my guess is the analysis and the DNA is a little harder because it's a older and you know DNA um, even though things have advanced it still takes a little bit to to prove that and they might not have that yet but um, I think we're all pretty assured that that will come yeah and I mean I think that's really the the key part of that is that the DNA was degraded if you think back like they didn't even allegedly didn't even know that they had a serial killer on their hands until 2010 so Maureen Brainerd Barnes went missing in 2007. And from 2007 to 2010, there was really kind of just like, oh, well, she's just missing, right? And then so when they found the Gilgo Four, Melissa, Amber, and Megan were relatively, you know, uh, 
more recent. More recent, yes. Maureen had been three years before. So I'm assuming... Amber had only been two months. Yeah. So there's more evidence there. I'm assuming that it's because the DNA was so degraded. But I... I would also assume that it's coming, like you said. Like, I think that there are going to be a lot more charges coming. They just need the time to kind of work out the details and build that case. Um, I mean, like we said before, it took them a year to build just this. And and maybe this is a good time to, you know, there are other bodies out there or parts of bodies that, you know, are connected to, to those Gilgo Beach bodies along Ocean Parkway. But like torsos were found in other areas. Now, some, you know, some people think he is responsible for those. I tend to think he is responsible for those. And, you know, he, serial killers change MOs. He might have realized he didn't need to do all that work. I don't know. But I think he will be connected to those. Some people think it's a different killer who they overlapped. Some people think um, a killer, once the Gilgo 4 were found, a killer got jealous and territorial and put remains that he had saved in that area to throw off things or to at least put his status back up as a serial killer. That's one theory. Um, I think it's probably Rex and they'll just have to figure that out and, and see if they can pin those on him. And hopefully he just confesses, you know, he's claiming he didn't do this, but Jessica Taylor, who, um, whose family has been more vocal and has come out and wants justice uh, it would be great to see that solved too. But what we know is the Gilgo Four, the three, Maureen is still pending, but uh, and we'll see how the analysis goes. Yeah, and I mean, Chris, I think that this is an important thing to kind of note where, because a lot of people have said, do you think there's more than one serial killer? Because they get hung up on the fact that, oh, okay, so this is only the Gilgo Four, but what about all these other victims? Unidentified does, you know, uh, what about them? And uh, as of now, I would say there's no evidence to support there being an another, uh, another serial killer, but I'm open to it. I think that it's a possibility, but I would probably wager on the fact that it's Rex. Yeah. I mean, think about it. He had carte blanche to Long Island and sex workers for years. Un- I mean, untethered, totally untethered because he wasn't caught. Think about that. If you're some sick, sadistic man hunting sex workers and nobody really cares, nobody's after you, or at least just kind of tepidly after you, you're going to keep killing. Well, and we know that there was 07, we know 09, Melissa, and then there were two in 2010. So it was he ramping up. And which means once that area was discovered, the question is, did he keep killing after 2010? And did he find a new dumping ground. So are there more victims that will be found that we don't know about, much less other places? And we can get into that too. So the document then talks about the charges and then it goes into the discovery of the victims. And we know how that goes. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that they were found along Ocean Parkway. But when this task force started in um, February of 22, as we've already mentioned, six weeks in, they realized, a state trooper realized they had this tip about a Chevy Avalanche, kind of a unique truck. Um, With a long cab and like kind of weird sides, you know, it's like a slightly shorter bed, slightly longer cab. The back opens up so you can store stuff in the back of the seats and it, it is it is unique. They don't really make it anymore. But it's a unique vehicle, but they had this tip, yeah. When an ID was made uh, on a Chevy Avalanche, I had to ask myself, how hard would that be to find, you know, for, for law enforcement to find? How did they narrow this down? And some of that was, well, it was a first-gen Chevy Avalanche, which is very, very different from, you know, a newer newer models. I don't even think they make them anymore. Maybe they do. I don't know. I'm not a car person. But, you know, statistically, there weren't really a lot of first-gen Chevy Avalanches in Long Island, in the state. I mean, there were statistically like a relatively small amount. And if you think, okay, if you layer that with the context of the cell phone pings, okay, we know this guy operates in 
New York City and Long Island, then statistically, that number of of first-gen Chevy Avalanches in the area gets even smaller. So dozens. I mean, there's there they weren't a popular. There just wasn't a huge. You know, it's not like a Toyota Camry where every other car is a Camry. An Avalanche was a specific. It wasn't even their their truck model. It was a special truck. So it is a, it is a great point that I think you know with something like that. Like, why didn't they hunt that down sooner and just started looking at Chevy Avalanche owners in you know mid Long Island? We don't know. You know, obviously they had that. They had that tip early on and that led them to Rex. And then for the past year or more, they've been doing this comprehensive investigation over 300 subpoenas of this guy. Search warrants. And that, and they started with these billing records for burner phones. And what, this is what I was, you know, we wish SCPD would have been on a decade before, but they found Rex and then they started getting these subpoenas, over 300 subpoenas, getting all these burner phones and cell sites and realizing these burner phones are connected to him and they are used to arrange these meetings with these three of the four victims. There's also something that somebody had pointed out. I'm not sure who, but they said that each victim had their own burner phone. Yep. That there was a burner phone for each one. Uh, I'm not sure about the validity of any of that, but... It just shows, if that's true, that he was at least thinking there was some presence of mind where it's like, okay, don't want to sort of cross the streams. But eventually he did. He did cross the streams. He checked, uh, you know, one of these. Melissa's br- email. Yes. Voicemail. He, he checked Maureen's voicemail. I mean, he also checked the, I want to say it was what they call in this bail letter, the Thawk email. It's T-H-A-W-K. The Thawk email... That's his own email that he had set up. Yes, under a pseudonym. They had checked that email. He had checked that email from his own personal device. So that, you know, as time went on, you could tell he really got sloppy. They were able to see these burner phones and cell sites were used to arrange meetings with three or four victims. Uh, There was a burner used. And again, we're going to get into how they know it's his, but a burner was used to call Amanda um, and you'll, you've heard that in season one, these taunting calls to Melissa's sister, Amanda. And then um, they were also tracking pings with a detective calling Melissa's phone once she went missing, calls to the voicemail of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. And then Rex's, all the, Rex's, you know, this serial killer's burners had ties to Midtown and Massapequa Park. So they're starting to show this web. And then they go into each victim. And they and what's great about this is we've known certain aspects about each of the, the Gilgo Four. You know, like that Melissa's phone in 2009 pinged, we've always heard, pinged in Massapequa. We even went there and filmed and talked about it. But then you see all this stuff take shape that we've wondered all along of like, what else do they have? And so with Maureen, we knew her last location was in New York. She went missing on July 9th. And then what this document lays out is that between the 6th and the 9th, there were 16 interactions between her phone, Maureen's, in 07, and a Rex Hurman burner phone. And then this new info, three days later, this is what we're finding out. We did not know this yet. Three days later, two outbound calls were made from her phone, Maureen's. It pinged in Islandia, but someone's checking her voicemail. So this is Rex allegedly checking her voicemail. It was from in a from a cell site location in Freeport. Yep. And so this is kind of this new information that we've been waiting for. And it goes the same with Melissa 09. She's last seen July 9th. And then it talks about how her phone was tracked from Massapequa back to Midtown because she had gone from the Bronx out to Long Island. And then it was tracked back in. And then they were able to track that this phone was used to make these calls to her sister Amanda in Buffalo, and we know those dates now. And it was tracked back to Midtown Manhattan, like you said, which means, in my mind, he was in his office, probably on his lunch break, calling a 15-year-old Amanda Funderburg and taunting her. I mean, it's reprehensible. It's It's absolutely sick. And then we've got Megan Waterman. I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger Show. 
That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler Podcast. The Amateur Traveler Podcast is about the love of travel. It's about where to go and why you should go there. We're going to open up to you different destinations you haven't heard of or places you have heard of but things you didn't know to do while you were there. Each episode is about 45 minutes long, and it's typically an interview with someone who wrote the guidebook on that destination or who has been there or who's a local tour guide or someone who is an expert on that destination and knows how to tell you what to do to get the most out of your precious vacation time. So if you value your vacation time and you want to use it wisely, listen to Amateur Traveler and learn about destinations both domestic and international, places you've heard of, and places you haven't. Amateur Traveler has almost 900 episodes talking about different destinations. So if there's a place you want to go, odds are we've already covered it and can help you plan a trip there. Amateur Traveler, subscribe today. Yeah, so in 2010, Megan disappeared from Hopog. We know that from the Holiday Inn Express. Um, She was contacted by a new burner phone set up that day. And we knew she walked out somewhere. And now we know, allegedly, that she walked out, met him along the road somewhere, and disappeared. But we know now that her phone traveled and pinged to Massapequa Park. This is stuff they should have known way back, but they're starting to track this down. I thought she left her pocketbook behind. No. That's crazy. We found out. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point. We had heard that she had left her her belongings behind. Um, But... SCPD had her stuff. We didn't know what was in it. Now, according to the the bail document, she had her phone and it traveled to Massapequa Park that night. And it was shut off around 3 a.m. So going into Amber, which is a couple months later, September 2nd was the last night she was seen. But here's what we've learned about that. So what we've what we'd heard before, and if you've listened to the podcast and our special episode we had with Bear, is that they would pull this ruse and um, show up when Johns would show up at the house in Babylon, Amber, who lived with Dave and Bear. Who were not her pimps. People keep misrepresenting them as pimps. They were all sort of in the scheme together as a as a money-making... Um, Drug habit-fueling yes. enterprise. Yes. Yes, that's a good point. Um, but we had heard that this ruse that they did, basically a John would show up, and then one of them would sneak out, come in through the front door and say, hey, what, why are you here? This is my girlfriend. And then she wouldn't have to do any of the sex work, but they would get to keep the money. Well, what we've learned through this bail document is on September 1st, Rex Howerman came over for a date. They pulled this ruse. He left, was really pissed. Later on, he texted her and said, hey, you owe me. And the next day, September 2nd, he is texting her throughout the day and sets up this date. So this is new information that we did not know. At 1.18 on September 2nd, 1.18 in the morning, he texts Amber and says, hey, not cool, I get a credit. That's so sick. So gross. Um, Later that day, he texts, wants to see her, but not at the house because of the previous night. And I'm bringing this up, one, because it's new information, but two, it shows like this guy wasn't this mysterious figure 
who just came up out of the blue. He was there the day before. The next day, that night, he picks her up and she disappears forever. And what we have learned then is that Rex texts her, wants to see her, but not because of the house. She leaves and there's a witness who sees a dark truck pass. And it was not Bear. We've talked to Bear. He has said it was Dave who never told us this, but Dave had witnessed this, what has turned out to be a Chevy Avalanche. And that was where this lead started coming from and kicked all of this off. So he was the key. He was the key all this time. That's what it seems to be. We thought this ruse that they would pull on John's to get the money without the work was something that had been wrapped up a few weeks before that because Bear had gone in back into rehab. But according to the document, they were doing it September 1st. At least Dave was. According to Bear, he had already left the house and gone back to rehab. But this ruse was still being pulled the day before she disappeared, which definitely ties her to Rex early on. And if they would have been on top of it, and that's not all SCPD, because Amber's sister, Kim, told Dave, Kim said, I'll report her to the police. And according to Dave, she never did. Um, So that didn't help police to get this started. And just to be clear, I mean, like Dave expressed so much remorse for the events surrounding Amber's disappearance. I mean, he I this is speculation on my part, but he it even drove him to like perhaps, you know, drug abuse and like it just he spiraled. Kind of relapsed. Yeah, he relapsed. According to him. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I'm. Hopeful that if it was him that provided this information, that he can perhaps rest a little easier knowing that this information, the information he gave, allegedly gave SCPD or gave this task force, helped to really um, zero in on this guy. Yeah. And any of the discrepancies in what Dave or Bear have told us, I think... You know, I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt that things were foggy and years had passed and drugs had been done and they didn't quite remember the details. But yeah, that's a great point. And I do hope Dave finds some peace in that, that, you know, this this lead on the avalanche led to what we have now. But on pages eight and nine, I just want to point out that, you know, this is kind of like they talk about means, motive and opportunity. This talks about opportunity. What they do is they talk about the records of his of Rex's wife when she was out of New York, when she would leave town, when she would leave the country, the state, they were able to track that to say this is when he had the opportunity. And they are able to line up her dates of leaving the state or the country with his activity. So that shows opportunity um, and just helps seal this. All these things are coming together. And then on pages 9 and 10 of this bail doc, it's connecting the phones to, to Rex. You know, they have to do all of this evidence. And so they were able to track his phones by his office, in and around his office, along with these credit card receipts that they're like, look, we don't have all this, the pings and the locations, but we can take maybe a ping along with a credit card. An Amex record. And say, look, he was in this location at the same time. So that's building this case. And then they keep going into that, that they were able to take these phones, find them connected to these email, these fake email accounts or these dummy email accounts, as they call them, that show these billing records along with these horrific sor- searches that we can talk about. And a Tinder profile. Yes. And he is on there working to find sex workers through Tinder on these different phones. And on page 18, there's a list of searches that he did on one of his phones. Oh, don't go through it. No, it... Yeah, if you want to read it, you can find the the bail document it's, it's and read disgusting. it. It's disgusting. And it's, it's disgusting the searches. Yes, it's disgusting to think that there are people out here who would be looking for this information, CSAM material, um torture material, I Pedophilic. mean it's Yes, it's that's CSAM. It's the child sexual abuse material, but it's like cuz it's not porn cuz it's like not consensual. Yes. But um so yeah, it's it's really sick. And then on page nineteen. Well, real quick, I yeah. just want to say um, one thing about the searches, and I don't want you know if you want to look at them, you can. They're disturbing, but there are a few Asian things that are mentioned in his searches, and I only bring that up because there was the um, the Asian male victim that 
was found along that, you know, they haven't connected yet, but that's a potential that, you know, maybe that's something that he was looking for and maybe that is one of his victims. Yeah, and that the Asian male was beat to death and found wearing women's clothing. Yes. Um, the The following page is, is actually a page that we've gotten questions about because the um, the the Thawk email account, uh, which was, like we said earlier, a, a, a dummy account, a yeah. dummy account made under a pseudonym, um, was used to conduct in excess of 200 searches between March 2022 and 2023. Um, and related to searches related to active and known serial killers, specific disappearances and murders of the Gilgo Four, um, and also a number of podcasts and documentaries related to this investigation. So, you know, I've gotten quite a few texts saying, hey, uh, it says he he listened to to the Lisk podcast. Isn't that crazy? Guys, they didn't mention the Lisk Long Island Serial Killer podcast in here. But I would imagine that if he was worried about cell phone pings, triangulation, all of that stuff. Or just keeping up with it because he's a weirdo. Exactly. I would imagine that he would have come across this podcast. And um, specifically, I mean, in the beginning of season two, we interviewed the the area detective and who is also a cold case expert, who is and also a cell phone, a expert. Cell phone expert. And we kind of deep dive on cell phones. And I was like, man, if he was listening to any episode, it was probably the one with our area detective. Well, and that goes with the first search, the number one search. Well, it's listed as the first search um, on this page 19 is why he's very specific in his searches too. why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? That's one of his searches. So he was listening. He, you know, some of it seems like he was obsessed with himself. Some 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 of these searches seem like he was trying to avoid detection. I like number 11 uh, because it has a typo. It says, America's five most notorious old cases. Probably meant cold cases. Probably meant cold cases, but I like to think he was searching for Jack the Ripper. And then 13 is interesting. Eight terrifying active serial killers, parentheses, we can't find, parentheses. So all of this is, shows some kind of sick excitement, curiosity around the publicity uh, surrounding his crimes, alleged crimes. And then one more on, on page 21, and there's pictures in here, too, that if you want to find the document, but on one of his AOL accounts, these dummy accounts, um, they were able to track these selfie photographs he took to send to potential dates, hookups, sex workers. And it says um, that they were taken by him, like in a mirror. You've seen those kind of weird dudes that take selfies. selfies. Yeah. But it says sent to another person. So I think they have proof that someone else has these pictures, meaning he sent them from this phone to someone. They have that proof, which is great. Again, you have to have all these threads to tie a case together. Um, and then this one, Shannon, where on page 22, there's a picture of him in Midtown Manhattan buying minutes to um, keep his burner phones active and going. Topping up. This was in May 19th, so not that long ago. May 19th, 2023, they found him in a Midtown store. They have the, the video of him purchasing additional minutes to one of the burner cell phones. So there's a lot of that where they're showing maps, showing how far his office away was from some of these pings that were found. Um, and then on page 24, they go into other emails. And what's important about this, and again, this is all part of building this case brick by brick, is there he had a dummy account, Springfield Man 9 AOL. And that led to another email account that they found, Hunter1903A3 at Gmail. And with that, they were able to get into and find out that he, he approved a terms of service update in 2021 from an IP address. And they were able to track that IP address and see that it was from his house through another one. So... Again, they're they're finding IP addresses and saying these phones are being used off of his Wi-Fi, his internet, and that just builds the case. 
So that is the the tech, and we're going to get more into this in the next episode when we talk to um, our area detective who is a cell phone expert, and he can go into deeper uh, analysis of this. But after this comes the DNA. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so DNA was really, I think, the clincher in this case. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of criticism, rightfully so, about SCPD and what they could have done, what they didn't do. And an argument that's come up is, well, the DNA tech wasn't there. Even if they had all of this information, they couldn't have really solved this until... The past two years. So yes, on one hand, the DNA was degraded. Yes, there were some laws in New York City that prevented certain genealogical research being used by law enforcement. But as Chris has just outlined, there was so much more evidence, so much more that, you know, could have been done, could have been analyzed, that was eventually analyzed. And so in my mind, at least, I think that the forensic evidence, this DNA, really just kind of sealed the deal. It was kind of what maybe what they were waiting on. Um, Because you really have to be, it has to be watertight when you make these types of documents, when you pull a grand jury, when you're doing all of this. So the DNA was really the clincher. And what they did was there was his wife's hair found on tape used to bind some of the victims, his hair found on some of the victims. Um, So what law enforcement did was they went out in the field and actively collected DNA from the Hewermans from outside of his house in Massapequa Park, you know, digging through his garbage and trailing him in New York City, which would be the the infamous pizza box. Yes. Um, and uh, the moral of the story is always eat the crusts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was, you know, there was a there was a trash receptacle in Midtown Manhattan that he dumped a, a pizza box in. And yeah. cops went after that and were able to pull DNA that conclusively linked him to these Gilgo four victims, um, at least the ones who he's been charged with in first and second degree murder. Um, and it, that that was really, you know, it was like that. It was curtains on Rex at that point. Yeah. And I want to go back and say, like, you know, what Shannon had said about SCPD, you know, with the pings and with all the evidence that we know now, I think if if Burke and Spoda weren't in charge and they would have treated this um, and, and, and they weren't treating sex workers like they admitted that they do look at them, which um, if you listen to season one, you know that the former head of detectives told us that, you know, because they were sex workers, they probably weren't treated like a regular case. They probably drug their feet. So, and I, I don't want to blame all of SCPD, but I will, I will level it at Burke and Spoda that, I think this could have been solved. And I only say that because if he did keep killing and he changed locations, that's on them. 
that's on them for shutting down this investigation. But I think what's important to notice is with this DNA, we have found out more of stuff that we didn't know. There's always this talk of burlap. Now we know that it was this hunting burlap for blinds. Not um, nursery burlap. Not not from a nursery, which was a whole speculation of who could be behind it, but it was used for duck blinds and that they were wrapped in that. Um, first off, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, three belts were used. One was used to tie her feet and ankles together. Now, during the examination of the belts, a female hair was found recovered from one of the buckles. But... They knew it was a female Caucasian, but DNA was not advanced enough. So all they could do is sit on that. But at least they collected it back then, which is good. So they found that Megan Waterman, she had been bound by clear or white duct tape. And I think they don't know exactly because it was probably degraded. It was just the fibers left. But during this, they found two human hairs. And they were able to say, look, these are Caucasian women hairs. But that's all we know. And that, you know, like basically the document saying, but we have DNA coming once we get into 2022, 2023. Same thing with Amber um, and Megan. They found hairs in the tape. They found, uh, again, you know, DNA sticks to everything. So that's, don't be a killer and you don't have to worry about it. Um, so once they, they had this evidence and then they go to these new labs Laws have changed in New York, and they're able to really dig in and do mitochondrial DNA and do the searches that were able to show that, look, we have tied this to Rex's wife. And like Shannon said, then they were able to go collect things from their trash. That's legal. If you're throwing stuff away, law enforcement can gather it. So they put their trash out one night. They gathered 11 bottles, and they were able to get, get Rex's wife's DNA and tie her to those hairs. People want to say maybe she was involved. I think tape and hair stick to things. I don't think she was involved. Um, well, and then also people had said, well, were the bodies stored at her house, at their house then? And the thing is, I think it's like, you know, like we said earlier, he's kind of a pack rat. You know, if he's bringing tape from his home, I would imagine that hairs, I mean, tape is sticky. Things get stuck to hair. I mean, things get stuck to tape. Um, we don't know at the end of the day, but I would imagine that it was just sort of like an accident. Um, That's that a good question because, you know, he did do this when his wife was gone and those pings did show up in Massapequa. So there is a chance he took them to his home and that's where this DNA, or, you know, was it just the tape that it got stuck to or was were the victims there at one point? That will be something to be answered. But as Shannon had mentioned earlier... It was because of this DNA and advancements that they were able to find his wife. And then, as Shannon said, track down this pizza box he disposed of, get his DNA. And they were like, we've got him. This is the guy, um, at least for these three and more than likely Marine. Now, let's talk about where it goes from here and what do you think could happen? Well, um, I mean, my instinct, my gut, which is not fact, uh, says that, you know, we're just in the infancy of this investigation, which is mind boggling. But I think from here, you know, really, my gut tells me we're just in the infancy of this investigation. Uh, I hope that other victims will be linked to Rex Hureman. And I also suspect that they will. I have a bad feeling about the storage unit in, in Amityville. I'm hopeful that... Um, Talk a little bit about that because that's pretty new and I don't think we've mentioned that. Out of all the stuff that they're pulling out of that Massapequa Park house, it's also important to consider that he also had two storage units in Amityville. And on Monday, July 17th, the medical examiner... And Suffolk County investigators were outside of that storage unit in Amityville. And I'm no cop, but when a medical examiner is on the scene... We've heard from cops that it means... It means that... She probably remains. Human remains were found. So I, we don't have anything substantiating that right now. It's just sort of deductive. But um, 
but yeah, I I think that we're just scratching the surface right now, and over the the next you know few weeks, months, probably years, it will continue to unfold. And uh, you know, Rex is currently on suicide watch. That do better not kill himself because yeah. he needs to face these families and account for what he's done. And those does need their names back. Yep. You know, I want to know. I've always been especially drawn to Peaches and the toddler. I I really hope that we find out who they are. And I really hope that their families, whoever they are out there, get closure. Um, I hope that Maureen Brainerd Barnes is linked to Rex so that her family can get closure. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, I think that we're going to be learning a lot about the sick individual and the crimes he committed in the coming weeks and months. Well, and there's reporting that he has, uh, he owns property in Las Vegas and that he owns property in South Carolina where his brother lives. And so, you know, did he travel? I've seen people say, hey, I played poker with him in Vegas and he was a creep. So was he out in Vegas alone? Um, Allegedly, his um, property there, a condo, is near the strip where sex workers walk um, for dates. So, you know, they're going to be checking his travel and if he was out there and who went missing and is he responsible for this. But I think, you know, what Shannon said, too, is like, I I hope he has a come to Jesus moment and really owns this stuff and, and brings some some peace to these families, a little bit of peace. It's never over. It's never fully closure, but they can get some answers. So I'm going to be praying for that. And um, it'll be interesting to see what what else happens, because I think we are. We're just getting started. So there's at least 11 Atlantic City. There's um, there's speculation, like with some of the emails, is he connected to Massachusetts and New Bedford? Who knows? There's speculation about missing sex workers or a at least one missing sex worker in Las Vegas um, whose remains were found in Illinois. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, but there's a lot. I mean, I think the important thing to note right now is we only know what we know. Please refrain from speculation, conspiracy theory. If we've learned anything from this information coming out about Rex is that we didn't know anything. So, and it didn't help the case, didn't move the case along to perpetuate conspiracy theories or unfounded accusations. So I I think right now we can just sit tight, know what we know, and, um, you know, remain committed to shining a light on this case and making sure that these victims, the remaining victims get the justice they they deserve. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is um, he has a wife and a family that I'm sure are just, their worlds are rocked. Uh, you know, from all reporting, they had no idea. So if you're in, you know, the online sleuth community has done amazing work in helping with this case and many others, but please don't aim anything at them because um, they are trying to deal with their own stuff. And um yeah. And we'll be updating you, and, and hopefully you can tune in for our next one where we talk to an area detective up there on the East Coast who is going to have some good stuff to say about all this. Yeah, and hopefully give some context to the judicial process, what's next uh, on that end, what it looks like, potentially looks like behind the scenes, and um, might be able to give us some context moving forward, What what lies ahead. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be releasing updates weekly as new evidence, new insight comes out. Please follow us. Please rate, review the podcast if you can. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lisk Podcast. You can visit our website online at www.liskpodcast.com. We'll be making weekly updates, daily updates. But yeah, Twitter is probably the best place to get all of that. And I hope you can join us for our next episode where we'll be talking to our East Coast area detective who is a cell phone expert and will be giving us his thoughts and insight to where this is going and uh, what to be on the lookout for. This has been a Mopac Audio production. I'm your host, Chris Moss, along with senior producer Shannon McGarvey. 
Er. Executive producers are Jonathan Beal and Jonathan Nauzarden with music by Blake Maples. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.